Hello and welcome to Women's Wellness with Loose Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Lucy Catino. Ladies, this is your safe space where we discuss everything women's wellness. Let's dive in and start to peel back the layers. My special guest today is Jim Vincent, President of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NWACP Providence Branch where he has served for nearly 10 years. He is currently the Community Outreach Officer for the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. Jim has been the host producer of The Jim Vincent Show for over 18 years now, which I have had the pleasure of being a guest host for several of his shows. Additionally, Jim serves as the president of the East Bay Community Action Program and serves on the executive committees of the African Alliance of Rhode Island, and Southern New England Association of Black Journalists. Jim holds a master's in city planning from the University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor of Arts from Dartmouth College. With all that said, Jim is the the perfect guest to come on and discuss a very pressing issue during this time as we are preparing to discuss police brutality and the effects on our mental health. Welcome, Jim. How are you feeling today? Well, Lucy, I'm feeling fine. And thank you so much for uh, inviting me and thinking about me. Um, I um, miss you in terms of your Rhode Island uh, activities. And uh, I'm glad that we're able to connect today. Absolutely. Same. And thank you for being on. I know that um, you've been quite busy as well. I've been seeing a lot of um, your posts. You've um, The media is coming um, at you, wanting to interview you and get your expertise in this time. How has that been for you lately? It's been fine. I mean, uh, it is what it is. It's what I signed up for. Uh, your interview today is my fourth interview today. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is what it is. And uh, I'm just thankful that people feel that I have something to say uh, about, um, you know, police brutality, the pandemic or, or anything. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty uh, nice when you feel you, that people respect you enough that they value your opinion. So I never lose sight of that. And I'm very humbled by that. Yeah, you are definitely. I've always seen that. And you are the man to come to with this, um, w- with these kinds of issues. Um, you are the president of the NWACP of Rhode Island chapter. And that is a pretty big deal. And I know that um, you have been doing, you've, you've done a lot of work for the state and the communities around for several years and being our, the voice of the people. So it's only right that we have you on to talk about this, right? So I just want to dive right in with my first question. What needs do you, um, what needs to be done to prevent p- police brutality as far as you can see? Well, you know, on a local level, um, chiefs, and city councils, mayors, they need to make it clear that it will not be tolerated in their jurisdiction. You know, the, that, that statement, that, that has to be articulated, you know, uh, early and often. But that's really not enough because we're not talking about police departments that have a couple of bad apples here, a couple of bad apples there. We're talking about something that's much more systemic, much more institutionalized, going all the way back to the slave patrols mm-hmm. hundreds of mm-hmm. years ago, uh, when police departments, basically their function was to protect the white community from the mm-hmm. black community. 
to contain the black community in a certain area so that white community could feel comfortable. That's how, that's how police departments pretty much started. And the vestiges of that are with us today. I mean, you still have people that feel that black lives are, are not as equal or not as important as white lives, and, and they act accordingly. And you have a system of immunity where, you know, unless a police officer murders somebody, uh, the, his consequences is probably not going to be any consequence or very little at that. So, you know, police understand that. So they, they come into a position fearful because you never know what's going to happen to you, but also knowing that if you happen to rough up somebody, there's really no consequence for doing that. So the, it just feeds into a cowboy mentality, a, a potential cowboy mentality in, in any mm -hmm, office mm -hmm. because, because there's no accountability. There's no real accountability. Uh, it started changing a little bit when uh, President Obama got the Department of Justice involved and in coming up with consent decrees on some of the departments that were really egregious in terms of police mm -hmm. brutality. There was this thing called uh, policy and practice that, you know, they had to articulate, you know, what they were doing. And out of that came the banning of chokeholds and, and things like that. And out of that came the, uh, the, uh, the beginning of people having to wear body cams. So there was much more of an accountability, much more of a civility in terms of police work that was being mandated by the federal government. Yes. Okay, so that was a good thing, you know, because they could withhold funds, they could provide sanctions, and police departments, regardless of what the chief, the commissioner, or the city council or mayor was saying, had a higher authority over all of that that greatly affected their day-to-day -day operations in terms of the power of the purse. So what, what's the problem now? The problem now is that three and a half years ago, we have a new mm -hmm, administration, mm -hmm. President Trump, President Trump. Now, President Trump didn't agree with all those uh, consent decrees and, and, and uh, policy and procedures or policies and practices. He thought that would hinder police work. He didn't see it as something that would make police work better, that would help bring the communities together, which would make everybody safer, make police departments much more effective. He saw it the other way. He thought it would hamstring the police. So he kind of uh, put those policies and procedures and consent decrees in mothballs. Mm -hmm. And if anything, he has encouraged the police to get rough with the offender, as he did in front of New York police a couple of years right. ago. Or, or, or with a recent tweet, he's saying, when they loot, we yes. shoot. I mean, which harkens back to the 60s riots, right. uh, which was we see as something that was unacceptable because it was an, under a segregated kind of you know, time in our past that you know, Martin Luther King ended up giving his life because of. So... He is not helping, and I'm not blaming him for all of this. This goes back hundreds of right. years. Not blaming Obama, but maybe not doing more. It goes back hundreds of years. What I'm saying is that this problem is not going to go away overnight. We have to remain vigilant. Black Lives Matter. Black voices count. Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad and you I think said what you Black Lives Matter because I wanted you to clear that up for us because there's this whole debate on, you know, you say Black Lives black lives matter and there's a rebuttal well all lives matter can you please clear it up for well, us what does that well, mean i'm gonna i'll clear it up to say that black lives matter mm -hmm. too in other words we're not trying to diminish other right. lives but other lives are not being taken other lives are not being disrespected 
it seemed like the only life of all our lives that are being taken and disrespected are the mm-hmm. black lives. And so I feel there are certain people, they really don't believe that black mm-hmm. lives matter. You know, they, they believe that other lives matter, as we all do, but they don't believe that black lives matter. I believe that all lives matter. But there are people, because of their actions against black people, you cannot tell me they believe that black lives matter. When you kill somebody, as George Floyd was killed in cold mm-hmm. blood, Mm-hmm. You're not going to tell me that that officer believes that Black Lives right. Matter. I don't believe that he believed that. Okay. Now, that's something that a lot of other people wouldn't have done because they believe all lives matter. But there's too many people, specifically in the white community, that really don't believe that Black Lives Matter. And until that changes, we've got to articulate that Black Lives Matter as well as white lives, as well as Asian lives, as well as Native lives, because you know, we just can't assume that everybody believes that because their actions say That's otherwise. Right. And thank you so much for clearing that up. That was very articulate. And I really hope that it echoes on and we really understand that because, I mean, we're missing the point here. There's a, you know, going back and forth trying to justify why that's being said and what that actually means. So to hear you say that, I really, uh, truly hope that it resonates clearly Um, Now, how has this ongoing, how has the ongoing killings of Black people continue to affect our mental health? How is that affecting us? It's affected affected our mental health greatly. There's no way to quantify it or qualify it. It's enormous. It's the weight of what's happening today, as well as what's happening in each of our lives and our lifetimes. It's the cumulative weight of all of that, all the indignities, all the all the pr- problems. What struck me recently was a statement that a black mother mm-hmm. made. She said that when uh, George Floyd was dying and he called out for his yes. mother, she felt that every black mother in the country heard and felt And that. I felt that. I think of everything that I heard, that was the most piercing for me to hear because... I know he was at the point where he felt completely helpless, you know? Right. And so he called for his mother who had been dead for yes. two years, even in that situation, because he knew it was the beginning of the end. He said, yeah, they're going to kill he, me. He knew. He knew. And, and, and when the rescue came, they took the pulse. The pulse was not there. He was right. dead at the right. scene. He wasn't dead on arrival. He was um, reiterate he was dead at the scene and the officer showed no emotion other i mean the way he looked at george floyd almost like with disgust like you know why do i even have to deal with you he looked at him like he was subhuman he wasn't even a human being mm-hmm. uh and yet this person was on the has been on that police department to get 18 complaints lodged against him right 18. And he still was there on the force responding to calls. And then the other three officers just sat there or stood there and watched. Mm-hmm. So they were mm-hmm. to murder. Yes. You know, so I expect uh, Attorney General Keith Ellison, since he's now on the case, uh, the case has been ch- turned over to the former congressman, uh, the present Attorney General Keith Ellison. I expect him to uh, be uh, charging and arresting uh, those other three. 
or what the charge is. It doesn't matter. At least I'm sure it'll be manslaughter or, or, or accomplice to manslaughter or whatever. But uh, I think as long as those three are, are not in prison or are not arrested or not charged, you're going to continue to see the protests, you're going to continue to see the marching. That, that's going to continue. I mean, the people want justice. They want that uh, officer who murdered Floyd to be charged or to be convicted of murder. Okay, yes. they want that. Mm -hmm. And they want those other three to be uh, convicted of something that, uh, that you get convicted of, let's we'll say, when you're in the scene of a murder. When somebody commits a murder... And and they go they get away in the in a car and you're the driver. You're an accomplice. You charge, right? You're an accomplice. You could charge a murder too. Right. So I I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if the other three were charged with murder as well. Right. You know. So, uh, uh, and certainly they did they they did nothing to help the situation. Yes. So, so I think people are saying you know we're not going to wait. You know I mean I know Attorney General Ellison said look. These things are complicated. I don't want to blow this case by going too fast. So I respect that. But at the same time, you have 100 cities, you know, with people protesting. You have some people that are rioting and destroying property. You have some extremist groups, probably from the right, going in there trying to cause trouble so that black people can get blamed for it. So you got a, you got a mixture of a lot of things going on each day. So I, I, I know that he's working as fast as he can. But hopefully he can he can uh, get that case tight enough, tight enough so that he can charge those other three and move forward. I, I, I can appreciate the fact that there's been a lot of other cases where there was charges and the officers got off because the, the case was not put together tightly enough. Mm -hmm. So so I'm mindful of that. So I so I'm not a big critic of Minneapolis taking their time like that. It's just that I'm anxious because. You know, the, of all the people that are in all the cities. So there's a, a dynamic tension here of doing it right, but also trying to be expeditious because we we can't we can't wait. We, we, we want justice now. We want it now today. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. So it, it's a funny, it's a weird feeling, you know, I'm having and I'm sure other people are having right now. Yeah, it's a lot. Yes. That's a lot. So what are some of the ways that we can uh, physically and mentally pre protect ourselves in the climate that we are in right now? What can we do? We have to talk to our children about the reality. We can't sugarcoat anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a thing called the talk that uh, parents have with their teenage sons. I think we might have to talk to all our kids, regardless of age, about uh, and what's Jim, going how on. Do you, and how do you talk to your son without breaking down his spirit what's the best way well, like what are some words that we can um we can use well i mean i want to make sure that he knows that i know you well enough to know it's not your fault right. i know you well enough not to jump to conclusions and blame you mm -hmm. you know no matter what however i want to keep you safe and we live in an imperfect society where even if you comply with certain police officers, they still may harm or kill you. Mm -hmm. It's not right. And, and I'm in the field that I'm in to make sure that we make it right. That's why I do what I do, mm -hmm. because I acknowledge the fact that it ain't right. Mm -hmm. I see it, but I'm not sitting down doing nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do something. And I've made it a lifetime uh, avocation. So 
it's not a mixed signal. It's just a, it's a signal saying, look, things are not the way they should be. Uh, but if you don't comply, you're probably going to bring on more than you deserve. And it doesn't matter. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see you killed. Even though if you were white, that never would have happened. There's no Pyrrhic victory in, 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 in saying that as an argument with you dead. I want you alive. Yeah. So do what you got to do. And I know it's going to be hard because it's dehumanizing, right. but I will do the best I can to build you back up as the live proud son that, you know, that, that you Absolutely. are. Absolutely. That's good advice. Thank you so much for that. And lastly, how, um, how do you see this changing? Do you believe that it will anytime soon? Um, well, I, I see a slight change in this situation in that this crime is so particularly heinous. I mean, Usually with police brutality, there's always some element of doubt, uh, especially with the white community. There's always this element of doubt. What did he do beforehand? Or, you know, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say, what was his criminal activity before the event? Yeah, I mean, like that like matter. Yeah. Uh, there's, always, there's, always there's always something. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to blame the victim. Mm-hmm. There's, and, it, and we can't see everything because of the angles, the this, the that, the whatever. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was a clear shot at a person with his knee on a, somebody's neck, snuffing out his life. Yeah. You didn't have, you didn't, there was no obscurity. There was no false angles. Everybody saw the same thing yes. and it was cold blooded murder. So I think even the most skeptical person, even the racist person had to say to himself, man, that guy got murdered. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, there's no, there's no, I mean, so, it was so egregious that maybe in this case, you're going to start turning, tra- changing white minds to coming around to the fact that, yes, we do have a problem. It has been hard for them to accept that in America that we have racism. They don't want to hear it. And who wants to hear it? It's hard for them to accept, especially the people that do the right thing. However, it's a racist society. It's always been that way. It's as bad as ever right now, even though there have been some gains by the middle class. Um, so I would just say that if we can get the people that are, are good, that, that, that understand it, that, that we're willing to do good, if we can get them to work on their families, their friends, mm-hmm. the people that are not like them, that are not the do-gooders, that are not aligned with us in terms of rooting out racism and wanting the uh, society where people are treated fairly. You know, I can try to talk to them. Lucy, you could try to mm-hmm. talk to them, but it won't have the same effect is if they talk to them. Once they start talking to them in an effective way, which doesn't come across preachy, I think that's the only way you're going to change things. Because then people would demand fairness for everybody as opposed to, you know, being a silent majority. Yeah. No, that's, that's profound. Very, very well said. Thank you so much. Wow. I've gathered so much from this. Thank you for coming on again Mm -hmm. and, and sharing your wisdom and, um, Yes, we will come out of this. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful, and, I, and okay. I'm very hopeful. And I know that together we can we can um, be the change. And this is this is a way to be the change. So I appreciate That's all the right. work that you're doing. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you, Lucy. I'm proud of you and everything you do. Um, if there's a way I can get this podcast sent to me, I I, I would like that. I, I'll I'll. Uh, treasure that i will send it right away today as a matter of fact you will have it thank you so much 
Very good. And uh, hopefully I can see you at some point in the future. Yes, you will. I will be back home. Thank you. You have a okay. great day and continue to do the good work. We appreciate you, Jim. Thank you, Lucy. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until the next time, you all be well. Please do check us out on our Instagram page. That's L-U-C-E dot inspiration. L-U-C-E dot inspiration. And if you did find value in this message, please do share with three of your friends. Thank you so much. Sending you all so, so much love. Thank you.